listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. This is episode 178. I want to talk about something in today's podcast that affects all of us because all of us, those of us who name the name of Christ, we have been re regenerated by the power of the gospel through the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are leaders. Every Christian is a leader. But many times in the Christian endeavor, we look for, we seek out, we pursue, we have burdens for a specific kind of ministry that we can do. And now that is a good thing. Everybody should find their niche and they should jump in it. They should get knee deep, neck deep in it, and they need to do it well. But the question is, how do you assess a person for a ministry position that they desire? I'm not talking exclusively about a person who wants to be a pastor. I'm talking about any Christian who is desiring a ministry position. I'm sure virtually all of you are aware of what has been going on within our greater sphere of evangelicalism over the past decade or so, as many high-profile ministry leaders have fallen for different reasons, and there are many, many more that we will never know about because of the ubiquitous nature of social media. It is easier, it's more accessible to find out about these things, and thus we have heard a lot over the past decade, and sadly, because of the fallenness of humanity, there will be more in our future, but that's why it is critical. When a person comes to you and they say, I, I want to do this in the church, or you're looking at someone who is a potential leader and you want them to do something within the church, how do you assess that? Well, that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. This is episode 178. I have an infographic here as well that I want to walk through toward the end of the podcast, but the title of this podcast is Seven Critical Keys When Assessing a Future Leader. Just to repeat this idea of leader, every Christian is a leader. Part of the responsibility, part of the calling to be a Christian is to be a leader. I was talking to our children about this last night, that we were discussing the Great Commission and how they are missionaries, they should be missional, and how they think about their sphere of influence. And them, their sphere of influence is probably smaller than what yours is. They don't know as many people as you do, but they do know people, and they name the name of Christ. Therefore, it is their responsibility to be a leader within their sphere of influence. But what I'm talking about in this podcast, even though we all are leaders as Christians, got that, right? There are situations where a person will come to you, and they will want to, they will have a desire to be in a position, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's like what Paul said in 1 Timothy 3, if any person desire the office of an overseer, an elder, then he desires a good thing. And so the desire is great, but the question is, what are the critical keys when assessing a future leader. And so I want to share seven of those with you in this podcast. If you want to read these show notes, go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for episode 178 under the Life Over Coffee uh, podcast, the series. And you can read these show notes plus look at this infographic that I have for you. 
desiring ministry and being qualified for ministry is critical when assessing a potential leader. And so my question is, how do you assess a person? What are some of the vital signs do you look for in a future potential leader? Now, that's the big idea. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. I'm sure you can add things to what I'm going to share with you, but I want to share seven critical keys when assessing a future leader. And the first one is the Bible. All of these have one word as far as these critical keys. And the first one word is the Bible. Is the person qualified biblically? What does the Bible say? Now, the Bible doesn't say a lot, honestly. There are more things in life that are in the gray that the Bible does not speak to explicitly. But we want to know what the Bible says about this. Are there any explicit prohibitions regarding the individual and what they want to do? The Bible is our foundation. It is, we, we, are, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, it is our manual. It is our starting point, beginning, middle, and end. And so we always want to look in Scripture. But when I say that the Bible doesn't speak to most things in life, it doesn't. If you're deliberating between going to McDonald's and Burger King, the Bible doesn't tell you explicitly what to do. If you want to go to Church A or Church B, the Bible will not tell you explicitly what to do. If you want to marry this person or that person or work that job or the other job or cut your grass on Tuesday, the Bible will not tell you. Most of life is outside the explicit teaching of Scripture, but there are things that we can learn from Scripture nevertheless. And even with what I just said, that the Bible gives us everything that we need to know pertaining to life and godliness. And so the first place to begin with the, is with the explicit teaching of Scripture. And so does the Bible permit this individual to do that job or to be in that ministry position? Number two, history. Now, this is where we move out of the explicit teaching of Scripture and we begin to derive ideas and concepts that are biblically centered but not explicitly communicated. And point number two is history. Now, what I mean by history, what has the person been doing in the past? Another way of asking that question is, do they have a historical record that naturally flows into this next step of ministry? For example, a person comes to us, and we get this often, and they want to be, they may not say it this way, but they want to be a formalized biblical counselor. They want to be a professional counselor. They want to get into Christian counseling. There's like a dozen different ways of saying that, but they want to be in a, a ministry mindset, a ministry-centric position doing biblical counseling virtually all the time. And so a person comes to us and they want to be a formalized biblical counselor. Well, what has their history been like? Have they been doing that already in an informal sense? I got into biblical counseling many years ago, but long before I got into biblical counseling, and I'll use the word professionally here, or maybe full-time, or maybe formalized biblical counseling, before I got into it neck deep, I was into it knee deep, meaning this is something that 
this is something that I just did. It just it just happened wherever I was, even though I would I never even thought of myself as a biblical counselor, and I didn't have any training whatsoever as far as formalized training in biblical counseling. But if you look down, if you looked at the rearview mirror of my life, what you would see, the historical record would prove like this is something that he does. Now, say, for example, that I wanted to be a professional singer, and you, you deal with this uh, second point here, history, and you say, well, what is the historical record? Well, I sing in the shower. I tried to sing in the choir, but they wouldn't let me. I tried to sing in a small group one time, and they asked me to tone it down a little bit. That was my history. Those are true stories, by the way, all three of them, singing in the shower, singing in the choir, singing in a small group. Well, that's just not who I am. That's not something that's like second nature to me. And so what is the history of this person? Now, what you want to guard against is a person who has no has not been doing anything anything like what they want to do now. And you just put them in a position and they have no experience whatsoever, may not even have a passion for what they do, and more than likely, they're just not good at it. And so rather than dropping someone in a college-level class, let's have they been to kindergarten? Have they been to elementary school, middle school, high school? And so point number two is important. What has the person been doing in the past? Number three is desire. As I mentioned earlier with 1 Timothy 3, a desire to be a pastor is a good desire. But this is something that I I want you to listen to this formula here. A burden for a position does not necessarily mean God is calling that individual to the position. And it's important, it's imperative that you understand this. Christians are burdened people, and that's a good thing. We should have burdens. We should be carrying burdens. We have burdens for the lost. We have burdens for those who are getting abortions. We have burdens for those that have dysfunctional families. We have burdens for communities. We have, if you don't have a burden, (laughs) you need to ask yourself, are you a Christian? But listen to the formula. A burden or desire, point number three is desire, which I'm using a synonym for burden. A burden for a position does not mean God is calling that individual to that position. Often folks will sense a burden to do something that they are not good at doing. This mistake happens in counseling regularly, and this is how it happens. A person could go through a horrific event, like a divorce or some other catastrophic event that fundamentally changes them for the rest of their lives. And as a response to that, after they go through a process of being restored, they dedicate their lives to helping those who are going through a similar thing that they went through. Now, what I don't want you to hear, because some people will listen to that and they say, well, I, I went through a horrific event in my life and I am helping people. Is that wrong? No, it's not necessarily wrong. 
But in the context of this point, number three, a burden for a position does not necessarily mean God is calling that individual to that thing. And though it can appear right, to, to be right on the surface, they're just not good at the role that they have chosen for themselves. I had an individual like this many years ago, more than two decades ago, who had a burden to be a counselor, and he was not good at it. He really wasn't good at it, and it was proven objectively over and over again because people did not want to meet with him. He just said he was good at something else. He really was. He was objectively good. He had a gift, but it wasn't in counseling. But because of a horrific event in his life, and God helped him measurably, restored him, he had a burden to, to do a similar thing for other people, but he did not have the gifting necessary. And so here's the fundamental idea for point number three. A burden for something does not mean God has called you to it. This is episode 178, Seven Critical Keys When Assessing a Future Leader. Number one, Bible. What does the Bible say? Number two, history. What has the person been doing in the past? Number three, desire. Desire is critical, but it doesn't always equal gifting. Number four is calling. Now, calling is a, it's a subjective idea at best, and, and, with, and that's why... A person who feels called, they really must submit their feeling to more objective analysis, meaning they need accurate feedback. Now, there are two ways to do this. There's two ways to examine a person's calling, this subjective calling. One is their internal call. Another is an external call. The internal call is, what do you believe God is calling you to do? And as you ask that question, you begin examining the person from a character perspective. Do they have the character or capacity perspective? Do they have the ability, the God-gifting, and then the competence perspective? And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But the internal call, what do you believe God is calling you to do? One of the ways that I ask this question is when you're walking to your mailbox or when you're when you are in a a time frame where you have nothing to think about, what do you think about? Now for me, when I have nothing in the world to think about, the thing that I think about is helping people. And I have been that way since as far back as I can remember, I mean, before I was a teenager, I have always, I mean, it's the only way that my mind, <laughs> that my mind really works is how to help somebody. I've always known, even, the, even before God saved me, I've always known that I would be somehow, some way, helping people to be better. It is who I am and so I believe internally, subjectively, that God is calling me to help people. And of course, that's broad. Now, I'm an old man, and of course, that has been trimmed down and been given some specificity, and, and this is what I do with my life. But uh, to assess a person's calling, you, you want to find out their internal calling. What do they believe? And then, part of this calling, you want to assess the external call. What I mean by external call is that 
If a person is truly called to something, they have a gathering ability. Now, what I mean by a gathering ability is that people gather around them to receive the very thing that they are good at doing. Jesus was a great teacher. You heard that, right? And folks gathered around him. Read the four Gospels. You already know this anyway. But read the four Gospels, and, and you see that wherever he went. In fact, he tried at times to get away from the people. I think Jesus was called to be a teacher because people gathered around him. Now, some counselors are this way. They're very good at counseling. And guess what? Like a magnet, people gather around them. This is how you can assess a person's external call. They have a gathering ability. They're good writers. And the way that you affirm that they are good writers is that they got folks gather around what they write and they read what they write and there are good preachers good preachers and it can be affirmed by gathering crowds now i know that you could say a lot to that about gathering crowds for preachers and i'm speaking in the purest and the best context uh, for that. But what you want to do is you want to address the external call. And so as you look at seven critical keys when assessing a future leader, what does the Bible say? What does their history say? What is their desire saying? And then you want to address this matter of calling from an internal call perspective and an external call perspective. And then number five, pragmatism. And you really need to listen at this one. Is the church guarding against the temptation to fill a slot, even though the person is not the best fit for the position. I've been a pastor before, and I know this temptation. I've also, I'm currently in a parachurch ministry, and I continue to feel that temptation of putting people in positions that they're not good at doing. Sometimes, in a church's desperation to get things done, they will promote anyone with a burden to do the job. You remember the formula that I gave you earlier? A burden does not always necessarily equate to a calling. And so pragmatism is a big thing. This is not so much about the individual, but it is about the church. It is about the church putting a person in a position to where they probably are going to fail. It is easier never to put a person in a position than to have to fire him after you promoted him because he has failed at the task or he is a fallen leader because there was a character issue that wasn't assessed well. This idea of pragmatism is a big deal within the church. It is easier to never promote a person for a role than it is to promote them only to realize that you have to fire them later. As hard as it may be to say no by not promoting them, it is much more comfortable than cleaning up a mess because you put them in a position to fail. And so pragmatism, as far as the seven vital keys for assessing a future potential leader, is a big one, number five. Number six is feedback. Many Christians are scared, to be totally honest with a person, 
who is trying to establish themselves in a ministry position. And the Bible, the Bible word for scared is fear of man. Many Christians struggle with fear of man when it comes to being totally honest with a person that who is trying to establish himself or herself in a ministry position. The observer, the people who are looking at this person, is afraid of hurting the person's feelings, or they fear blowback by being honest with the person, and so they won't tell the person the truth. We find this regularly in all kinds of ministries, whether it's the church or whether it's a parachurch ministry. You have a person working for you or you have a person within your church and they want to be this, but you look at them and, and you think, no, I mean, you really don't have it. And sometimes it is so subjective and you maybe you can't define what it is, but you're looking for the it factor and they don't have the it factor. You just don't have it. Well, what is it that I don't have? And you may be tongue-tied and trying to explain what they don't have, but it's clear that they don't have it, but yet you don't want to tell them that. Having good friends who are willing to speak the truth in love to a person trying to discern their calling, honestly, it's rare. It really is. It's rare. And so, the, and by the way, if the person doesn't want your feedback, then they're definitely not qualified for the position because they have a character problem. And so you need to get over your fear of man, assuming that you have the right relationship with the individual. But you need to get over your fear of man, and you need to give them that honest feedback. And, and if they can't receive it, won't receive it, don't receive it, then they have disqualified themselves because that's a character issue. You definitely don't want a person in a ministry leadership position who will not receive critical feedback. And so you get over your fear of man, and you be totally honest with the person, and that will be one of the first initial tests that you'll have with the individual to see if they are qualified, speaking specifically from a character perspective. And so feedback is important, having good friends willing to speak the truth. If the person is married, then the first person that you want to ask about them being in a ministry position is the individual's spouse. And so if a wife is seeking a ministry position, what does her husband say? If a husband is seeking a ministry position, what does the wife say? Because nobody has more data on the individual than the person to whom they are married. And by the way, if if that spouse can't be honest, if there's a problem in, in getting that kind of feedback from the spouse, then there's a problem with the individual because there's something wrong with their marriage and you don't want to go forward at that point. But if in this idea of feedback, besides other Christians observing and speaking into it, what does the person's spouse say if they are married? If they have children and their children are old enough and mature enough to, to provide that kind of feedback, if I was looking for a ministry position, I would want people to talk to my wife and I would want my children are old enough now. I would want them to talk to my children and say, hey, what is he like? Do you think he would be good at this, et cetera, et cetera. In addition to wife, in addition to children, if children are old enough, mature enough, 
uh, to be able to give that kind of feedback. What do their close friends think about them doing this thing? And then another assessment, another person that you can ask, of course, is the pastor. And so the title of the podcast, episode 178, Seven Critical Keys When Assessing a Future Leader. One, what does the Bible say? Two, what is the history of the person? Have they been doing this in the past? Three, what is their desire? Knowing that a desire for something does not equate to calling. Number four, calling their internal call, their external call. Number five, pragmatism. Is the church guarding against filling a slot because they're desperate? We're all desperate. <laughs> There's so much to do and so few people to do it. You got to be guarding against pragmatism. Number six, feedback. Are we over ourselves, over our fear of man to where we will be totally honest with the person who is looking for a ministry? I mean, you just think about think about the potential fallout. I mean, there's culpability here. There's culpability in your silence. If you are silent and you see and you're not doing whatever that you can do appropriately and biblically, then you are culpable for not giving the appropriate feedback. And then number seven, the last thing, is the assessment. Assessing the individual. And this is the graphic that I mentioned earlier uh, at the top of the podcast, that you want to assess them. Now, there are many ways to do this, and the way that we do it in our ministry, the way that we assess our mastermind students when they come to us. There are three critical areas that I'm looking at with our mastermind students. They all start with C, and so they'll be easy to remember, and they follow this sequential order. Character is always first. Capacity, I'll explain these more later, capacity is second. And then in our mastermind training, counseling or competency would be number three, the third thing. The least important thing, to put it in that context, is their actual skill set. And unfortunately for many people, it's the skill set that leads the way. It's the skill set. Skill set is important. I'm not downplaying it, but it is important that you follow this critical logical order and the first thing is character, their spirituality, who they are ontologically, who they are inside. And if you look at this graphic, you'll see some of the things that I'm talking about from a character perspective. Let me give you a few labels. Integrity, affection, affection for Christ, morality, self-control, goodness, gentleness. You'll recognize the fruit of the Spirit here. Patience, kindness, love, joy. Peace, passion, faithfulness, honesty, biblical maturity, their motivations. James says in James 1 that we're lured by our own desires. What are their desires? What are the motivations of their heart? And so this character piece is, is so important. And I don't have to reiterate the fall that we have seen of so many leaders over the past decade. But if you trace it back... Here it is right here, character, integrity, affection, morality, self-control, goodness, gentleness, patience, motives, kindness, love, purity, passion, joy, peace, faithfulness, honesty, and maturity. You can add other words here, but we're talking about the spirituality, the ontology of the individual, the transformation internally of this individual by Christ. Now, you can't get this off of a resume, and this is a critical point. You have to spend time with the person 
And too many churches, and I, I found this in my old church's experience, is the way that you get a pastor is the pastor comes and, and he preaches a trial message and he meets with a few people. And you can't get character uh, by being around a person in a day, a week, or a month. You need to spend time with them. Now, I realize this creates issues and I understand it, but it's still a problem that you have to at least acknowledge that if you're going to do the quick hire in a month or six months or less, you will not get to know the person the way that you need to know the person, and that is just the way it is. And so if you have to do a quick hire, just be warned that you can't discern character in a moment. It takes time. And then the second aspect is capacity. How has God shaped them? Everybody has a container, and everybody's container is a different size. Now, within that container is intellect, education, cognition, insight, analysis, understanding, stamina, their physical ability, physicality, their thoughts, their discernment, their wisdom. All of those things fall within that container, and everybody's container is different, and so you want to discern a person's capacity. And then finally, it's the skill set or competence. And so you can say that these three C's are character, capacity, and their competence, their ability to do the very thing that you hired them to do, to be a small group leader, to be a preacher, to be a teacher, to be a counselor, or whatever it may be. The title of this podcast is episode 178, Seven Critical Keys When Assessing a Future Leader. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.